Welcome to Measures of Truth, a His Dark Materials podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. I'm Francis. And I'm Anya. And today we're discussing the third and fourth episodes of the third season of His Dark Materials, The Intention Craft and Lyra and Her Death. episodes were both written by showrunner Jack Thorne. Both episodes were directed by Charles Martin, who has been directing TV for 20 years with shows like Being Human and Counterpart. In The Intention Craft, Lyra decides she needs to get to the world of the dead and asks Will to help her. He tells her the knife is broken and he needs to go to Lord Asriel. They ask Yorick to help mend the knife. Meanwhile, Mrs. Coulter wakes up in Lord Azrael's camp as a prisoner, but is released after a trial. Lady Salmachia reports to Azrael that the knife is shattered, and Azrael confronts Coulter about hiding that information. Yorick and Will repair the knife, and Will realizes Lyra is more important to him than going to Azrael. Azrael shows Coulter the angel he has captured, and she escapes while Azrael is distracted by executing the angel. In Lyra and Her Death, Will and Lyra enter the suburbs of the dead. Pan is uneasy, and the kids are confused about how to cross over. Meanwhile, Mary goes through a window to a valley, but soon runs out of supplies. She rests under a tree at a loss about what to do. Mrs. Coulter returns to the Magisterium and becomes a prisoner. She discovers that Lord Roke has come with her, and the two of them uncover President... What's his name? President... Father... McPhail. No, no, no. He is... Oh, Father President. Father President. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) The two of them help uncover Father President McPhail's plan. A bomb that will will use Lyra's hair to kill her remotely. Mrs. Coulter tries to destroy the lock of Lyra's hair that the bomb uses to target her, but is captured. Lyra summons her death, and it guides her to the ferryman. She has to leave Pan behind, which is excruciatingly sad and painful for both of them. Mary wakes under the tree to find food and water left by an alien creature. As it leaves, she quickly alien. follows behind. How dare you? <laughs> you mean a beautiful, wonderful creature. It's fine. From an alternate universe. I guess it's, no, I it's not from outer space. Because <laughs> outer space is not how you get to alternate universes. It's true. She is an <sighs> earthling. She is. Just a different Earth. Even as I was writing that, I was like, just say Mulefa, what are you doing? Why are you writing this? <laughs> Alrighty then. General feelings. I really like most things that are happening. Like, everyone's acting is great. The writing is hmm, pretty good, except in some decisions that they've done. Um, I just dislike how much, how little time we're spending with Lyra and Will and Pan. Mm-hmm. I love everything that Mrs. Coulter is doing. I do like the direction... 
ish that they're taking Azrael, but I just think we have too much of them. Yeah, I agree in that I liked these episodes. I think I disagree on the not getting enough Lyra and Will because I'm just dazzled and distracted by everything that Mrs. Coulter does. Um, That's fair. Yeah, I think that, you know, the first two episodes were a bit of setup and now we're really getting into the meat of the story and the momentum and the pacing feel good to me. I think both episodes really flew by and there were a lot of really good character and acting moments. Um, So I just felt like, yeah, it was, it was captivating. I enjoyed it. And I personally really liked all of the adaptations from the book that I noticed. I don't disagree with, uh, well, any of the timing stuff that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the adaptation stuff I actually do kind of disagree with. Um, But I still just wish we had more Lyra and Will and Pan. Like it's not, that I think they've done anything wrong. Yeah. Just personally for my taste. I generally like these episodes, though the slight diversions from the book are a little bit irksome to me. Mm-hmm. Wrong. And it's fine that you're wrong, Anya. It's okay. <laughs> like, we're all wrong sometimes. They take me out of it. They rarely feel like... Well, we'll get into this later, but to me, they rarely feel like changes truly for the better and more changes to fit it into less time, which doesn't isn't necessarily usually a change I tend to support. I feel pressure from the amount of money that all of this must cost for this particular book, you know, compared to the other two before. Um, and I think... It feels like that motivates a lot of their choices sometimes. Oh, 100%. It's just that yeah. there's a lot more CGI. Yeah. Could and we- also, I think a little bit of things would look ridiculous. Like, I am I upset that we didn't get to see a polar bear welding a knife? Right, right, right. Yes. Do I think that would have looked <laughs> fucking ridiculous on screen? Absolutely. Welding, not wielding. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's here's the thing, right? There's a difference between they have a reason that makes sense for them, and from a critical sense, I can still have a problem with it, even if they have a decent reason. Oh yeah, I absolutely. can look at it and say this. I think this makes the expression of the story worse, while still recognizing that they probably did it because they didn't have enough money to do all of it. Yeah. What I think that means is that we should be funding the arts more. <laughs> Not that they should be reducing the amount that they are trying to do with it. So I, I felt like these episodes just have are just packed, these two ones in particular, with great performances by literally everyone, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I just really like the direction of the episodes as well. Like the use of the camera and and the lighting and things like that. Even the framing of the Galavaspians, whatever you think of them, I think works really well with the way they're lit. And everything, they actually feel like they're there, and that's not easy to do necessarily. But uh, for me, Amir Wilson reforging the knife, Daphne Keene leaving Pan, of course, and Ruth Wilson as Mrs. Coulter were all standouts. So after saying what you liked, we can go into favorite parts. (laughs) (laughs) Which for me, it's just a a repeat of the performances of Daphne Keene and Amir Wilson. You know, when they're together or when they're apart... They are just doing really impressive work every time they're on screen. For such young people, they are not just 
really talented, but I feel like they have really grown over the course of these three seasons. Yorick's still close to the window in my world. I check with the lithiometer. We can fix the knife and then you can decide what to do. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not asking you to. The last thing my dad asked me to do was take the knife to Azru. I'm grateful you came to me first. can't take you where you want to go. That's fine. Me and Pan will find our own way to Roger. How will you get back? Just don't trust him. I did. I regretted it. Yeah, like I'm it excites me that they're so young because we're gonna get so much more from them. My favorite part. Oh, I really actually liked what they did with Lyra's death. I thought that it was interesting that they didn't, because I feel like in the book, the death looked like Lyra. I think or at least it's a man, isn't it? Picture it. No, it's not. It's Is not? It? No. I thought it was. I thought, I thought was. we talked about it in the, in the episode about it, if, if all deaths are male. That's interesting that you imagine it as, I really as, like that. As just looking like Lyra. Anyways, but they didn't do that. Yeah. And I guess, I guess that's not differentiating from the book that's so weird all of my life i've just pictured it looking like lyra anyways um and the ferryman was great too yeah and ruth wilson's performance like i didn't like all of the writing for Mm -hmm. mrs coulter but her performance was always fabulous Mm -hmm. and we got to see emilefa yeah oh oh my god i almost forgot i let out like a gasp of happiness when red (laughs) panda pan was there (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I did notice yeah. that, and I thought of you. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yay! No, by showing us the Mulefa right at the end of the episode, that is following the rule of like leave people wanting more. I was like so mad that the episode was over. <laughs> I know Chekhov's Mulefa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, Ruth Wilson was amazing in everything she did. I particularly liked her scenes um, with James McAvoy. I feel like in our book episodes, I complain a lot about not really liking how Philip Pullman wrote uh, Mrs. Coulter and Asriel together, not really like getting their relationship. But um, the the writing and the actors really just come together here. And in the show, I feel like I totally get, you know, what their attraction is and like, yeah, their whole relationship. They're both just so delightfully fucked up. Why didn't you tell me, Marissa? Well, I didn't think it would further my cause. I believed you. I thought that perhaps you'd finally found honesty. Honesty is not a thing to be found, Azriel. You're either honest or you're not. And neither of us are. You understand I need to put you back in your cell now. You don't need to do anything. I don't want to. But understand that I will. They worship you, don't they? A gunway, the witch, the insect. Will they bow, do you think, when you finally put yourself on the throne? I'm not putting myself on a throne, woman. I'm trying to defeat one. It fascinates me. How enamored you are with your own power that you've come to embody the very thing you most despise. I've abandoned the search for Lyra. 
pulled my agent away from her. Since you've destroyed the knife, I have no use for her. No, you can't. I can, and I have. The battle I'm engaged in is too great. Please say that one more time. She is not my fight. She cannot be Eve. Then use this opportunity I am battling to... to liberate us from these oppressive fairy tales, and yet from all angles I am being told that my own daughter is the original symbol of guilt. I cannot believe that story. It's not all about your beliefs. They believe it, and they will act on it. A throne? I don't sit in the throne, I sit in the earth, in the soil, in the filth. I've given my entire life to fighting a battle that must be won. I have sacrificed so much. What have you devoted your life to, Marissa? Power, hmm? And how did you get it? By making yourself the pitiless agent of the Magisterium, the inventor of hideous machines capable of tearing children apart. But along comes some foul-mouthed, arrogant little brat with dirt on her fingernails, and oh, you can love her. You cluck, and you settle your feathers over her like a mother hen. <coughs> who I want you to be. Take your hands off. Their dynamic is really fun to watch and you don't really like like either of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not like a shipping thing, but no. it is just like it, you can't look away either. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah th they're both so manipulative. And also, even her with um, Father General Cardinal <laughs> Commander, whatever. Father, Father President. <laughs> Father President uh, McPhail. Uh, Father? Will Keen. It was so good. <laughs> the way that, like, she's trying to manipulate him and bringing back all of that stuff from season one. Um, it's, yeah, it's just really, uh, really crunchy and, and delightful. Uh, just as an aside, I just looked it up, and yes, Lyra's death was a dude. was a him. Is it him? In the book. Uh -huh. uh, and I forgot. And anyways, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did really like also Ruth Wilson just being like, Hugh, stop this. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's me, Hugh. Open up. Yeah. <laughs> she just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Who? It's Father Gomez. I have with me. It's me, Hugh. Or do you only answer to Father President now? Come on, let us in. Come. You're under arrest, of course. How disappointing. For deliberate concealment. There really is no need. I'm here to help. You have prevented us from finding Eve. If you'll let me finish, I came here voluntarily. As soon as I could escape from Azrael's fortress, I did. Look at my clothes, Hugh. I even bought you a piece of his technology, which I'm sure your scholars will be delighted to drool over. All that matters is the child. My child. The alethiometer was quite clear on who she is and what she might bring to us. I made you cardinal. I did that to earn your trust. And in return, you have betrayed me. I betray you. She is sin. No. 
She is the potential of it, and I wasn't unaware of this, and I had my own solution. You have to nothing keep her safe solve. until the danger passed. Your life is destroyed everything. And in general, actually, I I agree on Ruth Wilson's performance. Like she plays Mrs. Coulter so well. The switching between all the different tactics to get what she needs and what she wants, and how quickly she does it with mm-hmm. no, it, it's. It's instantly believable whilst simultaneously you're watching it and you know that some of it's just not true. Uh, least favorite part, I'll just go first. I know this like seems like a small thing, but I just hated it so much. And because it was one of the last things that we saw, it really stuck with me. When the fairy's pulling away and Lyra is in horrible pain from being separated from Pan... And then Will seems like he's just filling nothing and is solely focused on comforting her. And the when, same thought. When he, yeah. right? Because like, and they even, like right before that happens, they emphasize the point, like the ferryman says, you know, just because he can't see it doesn't mean he won't be feeling it too. Mm-hmm. Like he'll be, he also has to leave a part of himself behind. He just doesn't call it by a name. And also like emotionally pulling a punch or something in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. When when I realized that like that's where the episode was going to end, I assumed that we would be seeing them both in pain and then see yeah. his demon appear next to Pan and that would be the last shot. I was yeah. so disappointed not to see that. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what I thought too. I assume that they did it because we already know and care about Pan and it was... Or they decided it was a more... To focus on Lyra. And and that last shot of Pan by himself. It's heartbreaking. It's really... Yeah. 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 And Mm. he's like trying to reach out and go, but... Yeah. 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 But the the whole thing is that in the book, he's... Or at least I felt that he was torn between that and also looking after this being that had just popped into the world independently for the first time ever in pain. Hmm. Like that was how oh, I yeah. felt that kind of went down, and so it it, it did really detract for from it for me. And I, I know I'm I'm sounding quite harsh on this episode thus far. I did really enjoy it, but like it's more frustrating in the ways where they missed on small things where they didn't. I don't think need to. Yeah, the big things, you know, we can talk about those, but the the small things where they could have just slightly reworked it, I think. I disagree with the fundamental director's decision there. And that's okay. I'm not directing it. (laughs) Right. I can see where they thought that that last shot with Pan would be better for television. I just don't think it serves the story as well. Yeah. So, uh, hard hard decision, I think. Anyways, um, my least favorite bit is... Like, I get that the way that they set up the going to the world of the dead in in episode one kind of didn't leave them with much choice to have them have a nice calm conversation about it where they decide, yes, this is the right thing for us and we don't care about all the adults. But I I just really hate how they did that, the argument. And I don't know, I, I really liked in the book where they just decide, yeah, this is what we want and fuck everyone else. Yeah, I this is my runner up least favorite thing. And I think that part of the reason for this choice is because the Galavespians have been de-emphasized in the plot. And in the, in the plot of the book, 
they their position is that you should be going to Lord Azrael and blah blah blah. And so that allows for an antagonism within the group that can arc over time. And since they're not there to have that antagonism, it's shifted to will. And and that arcs over the episode where he comes around. So I can understand like from a narrative structure why this happens, but it's also kind of a consequence when you make these adaptation choices. And I really did not like Will and Lyra disagreeing about this. Yeah, I didn't like that either. Um, and then the reforging was just cheesy. I thought it was weird. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, what What was bad about it? I don't know. It was just cheesy. It was like he was kneeling there yelling. The 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 knife was reforged due to magic instead of science or or engineering blacksmithery. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it felt awkward to watch. Interesting. I really really liked it. So like basically, what happened is Will had to get everything aligned and kind of like started knitted back knitting okay. back together and then your but and then how you finished it yeah. with like the intention of his mind right why did that work what <laughs> is he a jedi now i don't right <laughs> like he's he's why i don't know sense. it kind of worked for me right because he already i mean like he is this psychic connection with the knife like lyra has the psychic connection to the Alethiometer, like they do kind of already have Jedi mind tricks. Fryogan, you must go deep inside yourself. Find what matters. Without the intrigue of the Galavespians being there, it's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the whole point is that they're trying to do this without giving away too much information to the Galavespians, who they know are there, um, which is why they get sent away, to, one of the reasons why they get sent away to get resinous wood, which we talked about in the books. It just it just felt like a real dud in the grand scheme of things. Caitlin, I think that what you're saying about the knife is really interesting. It makes me reconsider, like, why do I like this? And I think it's like because it's kind of spiritual and magic-y is the reason that I like it. And it is it does kind of like play at odds with the materialism of the story and how this is like a thing in the world that is broken in a literal material well, way. Of your Rick in particular, his whole character is right. based around materialism. Yeah, yeah. He's about crafting. He's the dwarf character, if you will. Right. And... He's not really about magic. Magic isn't a thing to him. What's the thing to him is industry. Like, if a witch did it, it would make sense. I would get so much more out of it if it wasn't Yorick, if it was Seraphina Pekla. Lyra was just like, you need to fix the knife so we can go to the world of the dead. And Yorick was like, that sounds dangerous. And, like, you just accept that there's a world of the dead. <laughs> right, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, everybody they mentioned the whole world of the dead thing to is just like, yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't like Father Executive President Master King McPhail <laughs> being <laughs> sexually attracted to Coulter. Uh, 
I feel like that's the whole vibe because they've played this in the past two seasons and he hasn't been attracted to her. And that's part of his creepy weirdness because like it's Ruth Wilson. What? Of course you are, (laughs) but he's not. Uh, so I, I really like the the way that Will Keen has this knife edge restraint in his performance. And, it, you know, that's like a big part of his craziness. But I wish they were doing something else than this whole mm-hmm. I really, really want you deep down thing. I don't like it at all. I agree with you that I think the the like weird sexual vibe between them in this episode is like the least interesting part of their interactions and the part that doesn't work as well but there was like enough other stuff of you know her kind of blackmailing him i don't know the whole shame angle like that to me i just kind of ignored the sexual stuff this time and like didn't bother me that much um my least favorite was i i'm sorry i don't like the galavespians at all what i wrote here is they have all the likability of a bit part character in the famous 1999 movie the matrix by the wakauchi sisters they're lacking basically everything to me that makes them the interesting Galavespian characters in the books. They're not in any way suave. They're not elegant. They're not like they're not like a little Bond, which is the way that they were kind of portrayed. They just feel like they don't really understand humans very well. They're kind of distrusting. They're great because they're small. And that's about it. Why, like, they've stripped them down to a point where there's no point in them really being there. They don't add anything to, uh, so far, any scene that I've seen them in. They just bore me. And they shouldn't because they're some of of my favourite characters in the books. This probably is why I'm so annoyed by them. Mm. Is that in the books, they're so good and they're so well developed and they've got internal conflict and they've got a certain softness to them whilst also being distrustful of humans. Here they just feel like they're they feel like they were written by a nine year old. <laughs> I'm just gonna make I'm gonna make tiny super spy fairies. Fuck off, mate. Really? <laughs> I, yeah. They, I don't I don't agree with the direction at all. Getting to their softness in the book was very rewarding. Yes. After how distrustful and kind of shitty they were at the beginning. Yeah. So it is a shame that we're not gonna get that. And the way that you, you get to their softness in the books is the interaction between Tialis and Salmakia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. don't have that because they got rid of the character of Tialis. Yeah. That that was a fuck up. I'm going to stand by that. That was a, unless they bring him back later and I don't know what happens in the last four episodes. I think that was a truly dire decision from a directorial standpoint. It doesn't matter though because she didn't go to the world of the dead with them. But yeah. that's why. They don't need her to anymore because she's fucking yeah. pointless. No, but I right. mean like even if they did bring T. Alice in later, it's not gonna mm-hmm. it's not gonna work. Like I think I think the actual acting for them is not bad. I think that the writing for them is atrocious. I, I couldn't tell you how the acting is. They don't get anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Fair. You know, like the writing Fair. doesn't give them anything to do anything with except to be a robot. It just annoys me so much. Because they're such they're such cool characters. All right, problematics. Um, so I had a brief, I guess, anti-problematic. I wanted to just say that I appreciate that I think the TV show has given a Gunway uh, more characterization than they did in the book. And Ruta, who is not necessarily a character of 
color in the book, but in the TV show she is, and she also has, like, more characterization and a bigger part. Um, And so, yeah, I think the, like, Azrael's counsel, I think the dynamics in the show work well. Um, I like that there's more diversity and that it doesn't feel forced at all. Um, And then I guess kind of on a semi-related note, I do, I love that Asriel is trying so hard to, like, draw a contrast between this, like, democratic council of heaven that he set up and, you know, the authority as this authoritarian asshole. But, like, he doesn't understand, he doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that he is at heart an authoritarian dick himself. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I kind of like that, that he's like, he's trying so hard to draw that contrast, but it's like much less of a contrast than he thinks. It is interesting that he is like, he is a, you know, a British Lord. Yeah. yeah. He's, he, he's not just a rich white guy. He's like part of the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet also wants to be known for the dude who, no, he wants to be the dude who brings it down. Yeah. And I don't think he understands his part in it either. Yeah, I I, I think the show really nails this part of his character in a way that I think is great. Yeah, I think they've made him more of a character than he was in the book, and I like that. Mm-hmm. And But they're not making him a good guy. I'm very happy about that, because in the first two episodes, I could see where they were kind of going that way to make him just like, less of a complicated good person yeah um but they're they're really not and i like that a lot and there's nothing really problematic about it or anything but i just wanted to point out since we're talking about asriel that in this in one of the episodes he says he's beautiful everyone's beautiful and i like lost my shit and started (laughs) laughing Oh, oh yeah, was me too. Yeah. We all did, I think. <laughs> I literally wrote down, uh, I don't care, they wrote that specifically for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> and then, okay, I cannot remember this, and we only really had a chance to watch the episode once because we're in a bit of a time crunch, but Mrs. Coulter said something later that I felt like was the perfect follow-up. It was like... If you won't stop... You'll do what... Exactly. I'll fetch support. Good. We all need support. Go on. But, like, what do you think the thinking behind writing that line, everything is beautiful, is? I really think it was a callback. No, yeah, 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 absolutely. But why is he saying that? What does he mean? Why would they put that in for anything other than a joke? I think the writers do listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like specifically for us. Yes. (laughs) I don't think Jack Thorne is doing a call out to Measures of Truth. I don't think that's true. If it was, then I love the Galifespians. And uh... (laughs) (laughs) no, I think there's a, it's, uh, I'm always hesitant to talk about this, but I think there's a, a toxic concept to equality that that happens a lot. Um, and equality can be like misused in a lot of 
frameworks. And I think that uh, Asriel is like, I think that's how he's written. And it's like the exact, everyone's special, everyone's beautiful. And in the way of like, we're all the same. And it, you people just don't get it. And you need to like get behind me. And like, I've, I'm with it. I understand the world and you need to follow me. Like stop thinking that there are differences because there's not. And so equality becomes a way of like shepherding people instead of like acknowledging that we all, you know, have dignity and we all have rights and we need to give each other space. It's more about like, well, we're all the same. So like, why are you whining about needing your wheelchair access? Like we all have mm -hmm. hurdles, you know, I, you don't hear me whining about things. So like, yeah, there's not ramps everywhere. Get over it. Life's hard. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Or that just like, yeah, by in, in that enforced sameness, you can end up viewing people as disposable and interchangeable. Yeah. It's a way to minimize your vulnerability as a leader, you mm -hmm. know? Anyways, I'm glad it was there. It made the episode, obviously. Super great. <laughs> yeah, I had a little mini religion thing. I was just thinking about having watched the episode a couple times and thinking about the show overall and how often people get locked up in jail and stuff and you know like what is dust and all this stuff it made me think about innocence as like a concept in Christianity and how it it works in his dark materials how it works in Christianity and how it works in like our society and stuff um so I wanted to talk about that a little bit in case you weren't indoctrinated into the Christian mindset. Uh, the way that innocence works in Christianity is that it's like a spiritual state um, with relation to sin. So like Adam and Eve were innocent until they disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And so innocence is a state of being where you have no sin. And your innocence as an individual is recaptured by Jesus's death on the cross, because Jesus never disobeyed God. So he never sinned, therefore he's innocent. And you get, uh, when you convert to Christianity, you share in his innocence of uh, never having sinned. And so that's why you get to go to heaven. But in his dark materials, I think innocence is about experience. It's not just knowing, you know, that you shouldn't eat the fruit or whatever. It's actually experiencing eating the fruit. That takes away your innocence. So like Lyra and Will know intellectually about death, but this experience of leaving Pan on the dock shatters Lyra's innocence, right? There's a difference between knowing what is required and doing it. And Will and Lyra have lost their innocence over and over in the story, I think. And the passage from childhood to adulthood is a process of losing innocence. And that's connected in his dark materials to Adam and Eve by the Bible story that Azriel told Lyra in season one. Because in the Bible story, when Adam and Eve lost their innocence, that's when their demons settled. Oh, right. yeah, I do remember that. So we know that that's related to dust. The passage of your demon settling 
you know, which is about kind of growing up as a metaphor is directly linked to this idea in Christianity of losing your innocence and like transgressing over into a sinful nature. This is why the church believes that dust is has something to do with original sin. I really love how you, you mentioned that Christianity believes that innocence is the obeying of God. And that that other definition of innocence that you talk about, the childlike one, or even just like being innocent of a crime or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting that they think Lyra will bring about all the sin, but she literally has a line where she's like, I just want to do good. Yeah. And I would, I and all the other people are so very complicated or like not that lyra is not complicated i don't everybody like all the adults are evil yeah <laughs> to in some way or to some degree so it's just interesting that they think she is the root of sin when she's like the only one not being a shit yeah the, the thing that she's <laughs> the thing the thing that she says is is directly related back to that thing of everyone is beautiful because she says i don't want to be exceptional I want to be good. Yeah. And it's such a change from where she started out. And that that arc is part of the loss of innocence in the story, I think, and mm-hmm. is like characterized as a good thing. Whereas in Christianity, losing that innocence is entering into sin and, and all the bad things that are inside of you. I think that all the characters kind of move from innocence to experience, like I'm saying, uh, but it's how they reconcile that change from innocence to experience that ter- that determines their orientation to the authority. So characters like McPhail retreat into dogma and institutionalism. They're trying to recover their innocence. And it, that puts them in alignment with the authority. But if you integrate your experiences the way that we were just saying with Lyra authentically, that makes you an enemy of the authority. We, Like you said, Caitlin, we use the word innocence in jurisprudence, which is the philosophy of the law, uh, as a category of people who are aligned with the authority of the government. So innocent people are entitled to the freedom of society, but guilty people must be imprisoned. And so what is Azrael doing? He's imprisoning an angel and executes him. And Coulter accuses Azrael, this is what you were just saying, Anya, of becoming a new version of the authority, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Azrael decides who is innocent and who is guilty, who should live and who should die. And his experience with power has not humbled or changed his notions of its structure in the magisterium and the authority. Instead, he's retreated into that structure of the magisterium. And he's just changed the content of who is its authority. Mm -hmm. And so our legal society mirrors the philosophy of Christianity, just as Azrael mirrors the behavior of the magisterium, I think. It's just a slight tweak of what rules are considered legal or what behaviors are considered good or bad. Yeah, we, we think that innocence is good, right? And it deserves freedom and that transgressions of innocence deserve punishment. That's just Christianity. And if you think about it, the land of the dead and the suburbs are like a prison. 
And we know that Roger, as an individual, was an innocent child, and he doesn't belong in prison, and Will and Lyra don't belong in prison or in death. But they are deliberately violating their personal inexperience with death, you know, like their symbolic innocence to death in order to reach Roger and right this wrong. And so the experience of crossing over is painful and shattering, but it's necessary. And Lyra's heroism is that she moves away from innocence, you know, in the story. So this makes her vulnerable to the persecution of the authority because it puts her at odds with society and with the magisterium. And this is also what makes her grow into adulthood. And it's like the good thing in the story. So I did, that's just all stuff that was coming out to me in these two episodes. I was like, man, society is fucked up because of Christianity, just like Lyra's world. It's almost like it's a metaphor. Thanks for, for our coming. world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to just bring up a conversation that Francis and I had yesterday about Lyra as Eve. And and I once again brought up my whole thing about like, I just, the metaphor seems really bad. Like it doesn't work where Mary Malone is the serpent. Like in what way is she tempting Lyra at all? Francis's answer was just that like, it's a terrible metaphor and it doesn't need to be good. <laughs> it's It's just the magisterium trying to shove a round peg into a square hole or whatever you know yeah the at least to me it felt the most parsimonious interpretation of it is that it's not a good metaphor it's not it doesn't actually fit because lyra is not eve there may be prophecies surrounding her and i do personally dislike the concept of prophecy in these books but like certainly it's it's it doesn't fit she doesn't fit none of it makes sense it basically, Miss Coulter is, leave, is leading into it mostly to try and save her daughter at the cost of, or the cost of others. Wait, I'm sorry. What is it that you think Eve is? That Lyra within is the, not. Within the story, yeah, yeah, that Lyra is not. Well, it's the fact that they call Mary Malone the serpent doesn't make sense. I don't think Mary is involved in tempting Lyra to do anything she does. I mean, we haven't gotten there in the show yet. She's the serpent later on when she tells Lyra about the metaphorical tree. She tells Lyra about... This is huge spoilers if you haven't read the books. (laughs) She tells Lyra about falling in love. Right. Like, she gives her permission by proxy of, like, here's my testimony of my life. And these are the best things in life. And Lyra's on, like, a tipping edge of like is this okay for me to want and have and this like gives you know an insight that I could have this it is okay for me to want that and that's very similar to the story in the bible where the where the serpent is like it it tells Eve if you eat that fruit like Eve says we can't I can't I can't even touch that fruit I'll die and the serpent's like if you touch that fruit, you won't die. You'll become like God. It's fine. Lyra is Eve in that we're all Eve and we all have to struggle with like, is this the right thing to do or not? And the consequences of our choices and how you can never go back. And so, you know, Pullman's just, he just makes that actually really literal in the story, like what Caitlin said. 
I think that's okay. how they're. Well, we'll have to cut all of this out and put it at the end in the spoiler <laughs> section. <laughs> I think now. we can leave it. I think we can leave it. Yeah, I think it's fine. Like okay. we're in the final edit what, season. Edit what Caitlin said there out. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. I think we can leave it. <laughs> I did want to point out, you know, religion's over. Closed. We're done. Um, God is dead. There's at the beginning of uh, episode three. Pan says to Lyra, and this was so heartbreaking when I rewatched the two episodes. Whatever happens, we'll be together. Yep. Like Pan. Yeah. What are yeah. you doing, buddy? Don't no, say shit man. like that. Come on. I definitely had to pause the episode there and just like spend a couple minute, like a couple seconds, just being like, oh, "It's okay, it's okay." Oh my god. <laughs> and then be like, "Okay, interesting." Keep going. Because like when he said that, I was just like, "Oh, I see what they're doing there, assholes." Like it didn't <laughs> affect me emotionally because I could feel the mechanics them trying yeah. to affect me emotionally. <laughs> Although, I mean, like, I straight up cried when she left Pan behind. So I'm not saying oh, yeah, yeah. they didn't get me. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that bit. I was like, oh, fuck you. We do need <laughs> to talk about the Mulefa in the room, though, because, like, <laughs> we there's no wheels, right? What's What do we think about this? I know. There's no wheels. The so not there's no wheels there, and there's no roads. There's no roads. Like, yes. the whole thing when Mary first got to that world is she could already see the, like, lava roads that were there it honestly is just occurring to me now that there are no wheels i thought we just like hadn't seen the wheels yet but there would be like wheels coming up soon and they were going to find a way to make the wheels work with the different body plan i mean maybe but there's not right now right yeah like i i get it so i'm not really complaining but because i think it's beautiful um and i really liked how when it spoke this is a tall, I'll, I'll assume. When a tall spoke, she moved her trunk yes. as she spoke. So yeah, I, I, did, mm-hmm. I did like that. It's great. I'm not complaining. I'm just, what do you guys think? And it definitely sounded like a word, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yes. you, it, it wasn't just animal noises. It was like, oh, that's a language. I think we will see wheels. I do. I hope so. It's actually just Mad Max. Just driving around and he's rigged up like <laughs> it's like the end of back to the future atal is like where we're going we don't need wheels and then jets come out yes. of her feet and she rises into the air. <laughs> that would be terrible don't do that i would i would love it though <laughs> yeah i i was i was very upset by the lack of diamond shaped body structure like i I know it doesn't make sense biologically and generally I'm here for the things that make sense biologically, but I wanted to see them fucking try it. (laughs) I was so glad they did not try it. It would just have been so interesting to see, like just from a purely animation perspective, like how the hell do you do that? But like we have plenty of creatures animated which don't have standard body structures and that is a generally done thing in video games in particular. I don't see why they didn't they probably attempted it, and it just never looked right. But, like, yeah. it takes away a bit of the mystique. I guess one other thing I wanted to bring up. I really liked Mrs. Coulter's costuming in this episode. Yeah. Um, I like that we we get to see her in that, like, that fabulous uh, solid khaki outfit, which <laughs> I was joking to Francis. If, uh, if, like, 
solid denim is a Canadian tuxedo. This is like a British imperialist tuxedo. (laughs) Um, And like the dresses from the trunk were also like so fabulous. I really like Ruta's costume too. I like the way that it accentuates her body and in a very different way than Serafina's witch costuming did, which was also great. But she just has like a much more traditional like Hollywood slender builds. I think they did a great job of designing Ruta's costume in a way that like makes her body look amazing and in like a not stereotypical Hollywood way. I I almost had as my least favorite thing that I don't understand why Coulter when she gets the intention craft, why doesn't she go straight to Lyra? Why does she go back to the magisterium? I don't that is understand. That's a really good point. I never thought about it, but like, it would make way more sense. Maybe because she knows that, especially at this point, Lyra is not going to work with her. So she's she'll be more effective protecting Lyra from afar than trying to work with her because Lyra's just going to be like, fuck off, go away. This brings up an interesting point for the show, though, because in the books, the intention craft was just like a fancy helicopter. Yeah. But in the show, it can it can go through it can open doorways. It's the subtle mind. Could yeah. Could the intention craft bring her to the world of the dead? Yeah. Ooh. Because in the book, she she wouldn't have been able to get to Lyra even if mm-hmm. she had thought to go to her. Yeah, I think it might wreck it to go there because mm. even Will has a problem getting there. Yeah. I guess what I what I was thinking when I was watching the episode is there should have been a little bit of shuffle of information or something. Maybe Lord Roke should have already been at the Magisterium and reporting back like they're building something. This is weird. And then she overhears it and is like, they're, you know, they're targeting the Lyra girl. And then she goes to stop it. That would have made sense to me. Mm. But she gets there and then finds out about it. And I'm like, what is he? Why? Why did she go back? Why did she let herself be captured? It. I mean, it's all great. Like, I love, 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 love Mrs. Coulter and, like, her theme song. And she, like, takes over the place immediately and the outfits and all that stuff. But the motivations just didn't make sense. And while we're talking about the Magisterium, um, Wilking is so good as Father President McPhail. He's great. But I I hate that I laugh every time he says your daughter when he's talking to Mrs. <laughs> Coulter. It's like, it takes me out of the scene. I, I wish I didn't know. He he does spend a, most of his time plotting to kill his own daughter, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. Looking actually at the internal sciencey bits of the Magisterium, I really, really liked the way that they've styled that from the kind of set perspective. Like, it's... So the place that I currently work used to, until very recently, have a working nuclear reactor from, I think it was from the 50s, late 50s, early 60s, a research reactor. So we actually have the console for that in the kind of main atrium, I guess you'd call it. And the the indicator lights and the buttons and all that kind of tactile stuff is exactly the same sorts of things that's just on the walls in there. It really gives you that 50s, 60s feel. It very, you know, post-war, 
advanced technology for killing people sorts of things. <laughs> and again, that like absolutely dire pastel blue. It's really, really 60s. It's really, it's really, really good. I think it's very, very well designed and kind of contrasts hugely with the rest of the Magisterium, which is fascinating to me. It actually kind of matches weirdly well with the Land of the Dead waiting area, which also felt kind of yes. like 60s, kind of like bluish, greenish hues. Um, but Soviet. Yeah, than... more yeah, more Soviet yeah. than Western. And I, I love that they brought back the scientists from season one. I thought that was like yes. a fun little bit of yes. continuity and makes us like more invested in the character. I love the Mrs. Coulter kind of like trying to pump her for information and like figuring yeah, out and then how caught. the machine works. <laughs> yeah, and then getting caught. So good. I really like that. I also just liked like bringing her back is just a good shorthand for it. This bomb works on the same technology as that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's a good economy of character. She gives a really, really good performance in the whole Ballvanger thing of like, cause she's the one who's telling the younger, more idealistic scientist who's questioning things. We follow orders. We are Nazis. Get yeah. with the program. <laughs> and just yeah. if it bothers your conscience, here's a drink. And she's still, you yeah. Know, I like doing that they brought that. back her, her alcoholism. Yeah, so it's like it's great to see her back. I love they did like a really subtle thing of the scarring on her face and down, yes, her body and stuff. So there's you know been consequences for her, and you get the sense that maybe she's been in jail since Balvanger or something like that, or at least yeah, like been through some questioning and. Yeah, Threats. I don't think she got those burns at Ballvanger is what I'm saying. I see. Hmm. What do you think about the arrest scene? Uh, is this a part of Mrs. Coulter's plan? Is she planning to get back in the intention craft? Where is she going to go if that's the case? What What's going on there? Uh, so I guess like she has to still be there when they try to set off the bomb. So I guess that was just a way to keep her there. You mean plot-wise? That's not... Plot-wise, yeah. Because she thinks she's neutralized the bomb. Well, he... I mean, he tells her at the end, but... Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it was part of her plan. That's why I didn't really like it. Yeah, mm. I also did not see it as part of her plan. I saw it as basically she, like... She tried to neutralize the bomb. She thought she did it. And then she didn't have any more moves left to play. When... When they brought in that chest with the dress in it, what was what was happening there? Oh yeah, were they saying that that, like, yeah, that was belonged weird. to her mother or something? Yeah, I, did I thought not... she said the word mother also. I think it's a reference to the later books. They go into more of Mrs. Coulter's background in the Book of Dust series. In the in in the second one, because I've one hundred percent read the first one and I remember nothing about Mrs. Coulter. But I could no. be wrong. Yeah, it's definitely in definitely in the second book. Okay. I really want to work out. I, I'm currently furiously Googling to try and work out if like how it all works, but also I can't talk about any of it because most of you <laughs> haven't read the other the Secret <laughs> Commonwealth and also Yeah. Though I I think she's mentioned in um series one. Oh, her according mother? to according yeah according to the according to the fandom wiki which as we all know is the uh, 
the utmost source of correct and up-to-date information. So I guess if anybody has any thoughts about that scene and the purple please, dress, yeah, email us. Please let us know. <laughs> so we're lost and confused. Yeah, I, when it was open, I thought I saw the green dress in there too from season one, episode two. Oh, the best dress? The best dress. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. I was like, oh, is she going to put that on? So I was actually, I was waiting for her to find, because of the word mother, I thought she was going to pull out like one of Lyra's dresses from season one. Remember Mm. when they Mm -hmm. have that like tailoring scene? Yeah. And I thought it was kind of like, you know, like an emotional weapon or something being deployed to her about like, ha ha ha, you don't have your daughter or something. But then it was just, you know, things of her own size. It's a psychological torture. It was just, con- yeah. it's literally confusing though. None of us yeah. know, what, know what was going on there. As a like complete 180 from this conversation, I just want to say that I really miss Balthamos being a little bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. so nice when he turned up. He's very he was sweet. so encouraging. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have been an asshole. So <laughs> and I would have enjoyed you being an asshole. I should have done better. I am sorry, but I have been watching over you. He's here. He's an angel. I'm Lyra. I know. You nearly lost it. Forever. And now, are you ready to go to Lord Azrael? He's gathering his armies. No. I'm sorry, Bathams. I have to go to the land of the dead. There's someone there who needs our help. Lyra's friend. This is the route you must take. Yes. And follow the path. Saying that angels can't go to the world of the dead is kind of like saying that bit of you that goes to the world of the dead is your body. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. or you're saying that angels don't have a soul or a spirit or whichever one that is. They're a demon and that's all they are? Like of the three parts? I get they're just a soul? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, but that, that kind of sounds like it's saying that they're not fully formed. I thought that too, though. When he showed up, I was like, he's awfully nice to these kids. <laughs> he wasn't, I liked him in the book because he wasn't a mean authority figure. He was like a, he was petulant. Yes. You know? He was like just a whiny, miserable person trying to make everyone else around him just as miserable as he is. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it was such a contrast to like the Galavespians who were, you must do what we say because we know what we're doing and and they were kind of jerks that way. And he was just like, Ugh, everything is terrible. <laughs> I just really liked him, but I like mean, hated to him. To be fair, if you your know? boyfriend who you'd been dating for thousands of years just died, you would be in a mood too. I, yes, but he was like that before. I guess so. <laughs> so question. Again, I'm, I'm doing like a big 180 here just because I'm going through my notes. We've gone all the way around now. Yes. When they're <laughs> going to the world of the dead... The dude says you have to leave all your belongings. Yeah. What about the knife and the alethiometer? Oh, man. Yeah, I was thinking that. They're metaphysical objects. They don't count. <laughs> they They're literally the material objects. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, 
He's just going to have the knife. Like, that's what's going to happen. He's just going to have he it. He had it on the boat, didn't he? He, he like, know. held it in that guy's face. He's like... J- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's that's with true. It. Yeah. yeah. So he still has the knife, but they had to leave all their things. Like, what? Does she have the alethiometer in her pocket? She has to. I just... Why even have that line? Yeah. Why even have that line? Why not just give them a backpack and they have a backpack? Or they lose the backpack? Or just have it disappear? I don't even care. Why have that line? <laughs> bothers me so much while we're talking about the world of the dead i do i talked a little bit about it before in the set design but i do just want to point out that having it as like a industrial bureaucratic sterile but dusty place uh that is a big contrast to the book where i think she was basically in like a like a hut with like a mud floor like it felt very futile um, and so I liked this rewrite. I think it works better visually. I'm not sure if it works better, like, if you actually think about it. Like, how often do they update the aesthetics of the world of the dead? <laughs> like, <laughs> How does it work? Yeah. Yeah. Did it look like the Soviet Union before the Soviet Union existed? Right. <laughs> Can you imagine a bunch of, like, medieval peasants showing up like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> this is so futuristic. Yeah. It's like stone, but like formed. What? I hated the weird pipes. Oh, I don't even remember the first. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, I want to talk about these. Yeah. That, like, I hated it in her dream. Mm -hmm. And then when they're actually there, I was, and well, like, okay, I hated it in her dream. And then something in the point of view of the dream made me think that they were making it kind of look like Bullvanger. And so then I was fine with it. But then, no, they just turn up in the world of the dead and they're under a bunch of pipes. And I was like, well. Yeah, because there is kind of a brutalism aesthetic, you know, the architectural style of brutalism in that whole Soviet era industrial, you know, like train station or whatever vibe is going on there. Mm -hmm. When I saw those concrete scaffolds for the piping, the first thing that I thought of uh, is Shinto Tori gates, like those, you know, the red um, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, kind of gates that mark the boundary kind of between mundane and sacred places in Shintoism. I don't know if that's intentional at all. I, they have like a gateway vibe thing. anyway. But yeah, I, I very much get the same thing. Yeah, and I, I've just felt like the visual is kind of contrasted by that industrial, you know, that modern industrial vibe. Like the suburbs of the dead are not ancient and sacred. They're like tediously ugly yeah. in a way that <laughs> the modern efficient spaces are built for utility are. And uh, instead of beauty, you know, the way that like ancient sacred spaces would be. And so like, I just like the combination of like the form of ancient sacred beauty, but like all of this gross industrial stuff. The other thing I kind of got from it was, I mean, partially, again, this was definitely the color grading. Um, yeah. But it gave me the feeling of some of the stuff you get in, like the uh, the collective writing project, which is the SCP uh, universe. Oh, my God. Which I is can't all believe about... that you're talking about this. My daughter is obsessed with SCP. I know so it's much about it. Fascinating. <laughs> It's it's a, it's a very interesting collective writing thing because you get the downside of uh, of a collective writing project from a bunch of people who are not necessarily particularly good writers. 
but then some of the stuff is exceptionally well developed and some of the kind of tropes that go through it are exceptionally well developed and have a very much a life of their own but it gives me those vibes of this is an uncanny place where the rules of nature don't quite apply as you think they do you feel like that whole space where they first land goes through eternity it is infinitely yeah. large in all directions and looks the same and no matter how much you walk away from the way that everyone everyone's going, no matter how how long you do that for, if you turn around and walk with everyone, you get there in ten minutes. You'd be right there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it very much gives gives that vibe of of that, and I I love that. I think that's fascinating. I don't necessarily think it feels to me like the land of the dead should feel, but I do like how it feels. It's just much more of a bureaucratic land of the dead. I liked everything other than the weird pipes. <laughs> that was the only bit that I was like, but why? Like, <laughs> why? I, I think I would have liked that deserty area first if it was just desert. But yeah. maybe they thought that was like overdone because it is kind of overdone. So that's fair. Before we talk about anything else, we have to talk about the most important thing in this episode. And that would be Amir's eyeshadow. Oh, because oh, I was <laughs> noticing uh, Daphne oh Keane's eyeliner, but I did not notice Amir's eyeshadow. Oh, I guess it is eyeliner on him, but he has like these heavy black lines and it is so intense and such a choice. <laughs> and I can't concentrate on anything else when he's on screen. I'm just like, wow, they really gave you that like thick eyeliner. He's got intense eyes. Maybe that is just what his eyes look like. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think, think so. But so. <laughs> I know some people who look like they constantly look like they're wearing eyeliner, and they're just not. They're just that's the way their lashes fall. Well, that's really nice for them, assholes. But <laughs> <laughs> I get asked occasion. I get asked occasionally, "Are you wearing mascara?" I'm like, "Nope, I just have long eyelashes." I I just want to like keep track of it to see if it's there until the end, or if they ever give him a break and have him look kind of awake and all there, you know. <laughs> I did want to say, you know, being in the world of the dead and stuff and the way that people look, you already talked about this, Caitlin, a little bit, but the the way that death looks uh, for Lyra, I really, really liked. Um, she has like the exact same hairstyle that Daphne Keene has, which I felt like was a choice because she's like a reflection of her kind of. Mm -hmm. And she's quite a bit taller, isn't she? She's yeah, she's imposing. They always shoot her from below, too. Mm -hmm. uh, or at weird angles, you know, so that you feel the height. That might be because they're trying to make Daphne Keene appear younger than she is. Oh, good point. Right? Yeah. That's, that. I thought that it, the actress at first, and this isn't fair to this actress because she's fabulous, but at first I was like, is that Lyra from the Golden Compass? Because that would be like <gasps> Oh crazy. my God, that would have been so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. Oh, it's not that would have been so good. <laughs> it would have been great. But I was like, oh, she has blonde hair like Lyra in the book. I kind of like that. It's not exactly an Easter egg, but it I don't know. It felt intentional that she looks different, but the same as Lyra. Well, that's it for this episode then. Uh, next time, we'll be talking about episodes five and six. If you like our show, please take some time to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at strangelyliteral. Or on Mastodon, at strangely literal, at mass.to. I don't know how people talk about Mastodon out loud. 
I feel like somebody five years from now is going to be like, what the fuck is Mastodon? <laughs> no, they're just going to be listening to this and it's going to be such like a time capsule. Yeah. <laughs> from this. Like, oh, yeah, Mastodon was a thing. That was before yeah. the Skynet Wars. <laughs> <laughs> they laugh uh, into I- their tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin or on Instagram at InferiorCateReads. I'm Francis, and you can follow me on Twitter, which does still exist, at Francis Windrum. And I will be on Mastodon. I am on Mastodon. I'm sure I'm there. If you can find Anya, you can find me. Follow our show on Twitter only at <laughs> MOTPod. We are going down with that ship. Uh, send us emails, though, at contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com. And don't forget, everyone is beautiful. I'm eating a Pop-Tart, and I'm a professional. (laughs) (laughs) See, I already finished my cookie, so. Do you want me to go back and say it in the order that it's written? Nope. It just I messed I love- me up. That I was like, I have time to to do this, and I don't. Also, can we can we uh, call this episode a little off the top? Because <laughs> I think that'll be. <laughs> I don't get it. A hair cutting thing. Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, even if we did know, we'd probably put that in the spoiler section. But yeah, not that we're doing one of those. <laughs> no, not really. Anyways, um... yeah, I, Ugh, I just punched my microphone. Uh, I. <laughs> That's called pulling a Caitlin. How dare you? <laughs> what are they going to do? Yeah. Get rid of their jetpack because it died? Fuck off! <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> They get another jetpack out of that. They feed their jetpack their blood. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Into the fuel compartment. That's what it runs on, is their blood. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, then it really is like the Matrix. It just plugs into their spine. It plugs in, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can you guys hear that train? It's like really loud. Yeah. I don't think I can hear it. I guess my headphones suck. It's going to start with like a Mulefa style like Ewok party. Yes. <laughs> For Mary showing up. They're going to be playing bongos. So, oh, let's... it'll be like the um the uh the Gungans in episode 1 Great. or episode 2. I hope so. <laughs> Misa hopes so. Uh, oh my god. I hate you. <laughs> I guess one other thing I wanted to bring up um, was cool, good podcast, guys. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good job. <laughs> I really liked uh, the way that you guys said that about how er, murdering Mrs. Coulter would be the right choice made me realize that Mrs. Coulter is Gollum <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, Well, you can't murder her, things wouldn't have worked out then, and I was like, Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, they go on... like, go out to the coffee shop once a week? On Angel Tinder? (laughs) (laughs) I really love that you're talking to the audience in this completely off-topic segment, so that who's ever editing it might not cut it out. I know, there's like a... (laughs) Yep.
I, I was, oh, I I'm was literally thinking just thinking, like, there's no way that's going to make it to the final cut. There's like a 50 50 chance Ooh, of things like this whenever I'm editing. Of like, I'm oh, just Francis is definitely editing this one. <laughs> like, just I'm to put it in. All of it. I do not have anywhere near enough time to do that right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I talked about Amir's eyeliner, so okay. yeah, I'm good. And <laughs> red panda pan—that's actually the most important. Yeah, red panda pan. So should I should I do a spoilers intro in case we want to move that segment? No, okay. no, I think it's fine. Okay, it's the final no. season. We don't care anymore. Okay, okay. <laughs> Fuck y'all. <laughs> no well, one's exactly. feelings are special. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you're not special you're not special <laughs> i feel like that's more accurate um, no one is special yeah. <laughs> everyone's special